Over the years, I have heard some very powerful testimonies of people who have given their heart to Christ. I'm sure that you have also. And we always rejoice anytime someone gets saved. Amen? That's what this is all about. <clears throat> you know, don't ever get caught in the trap of saying, oh, pastor's preaching on salvation again, or um, really all we hear is salvation, because that word you just need to start looking at it in a new perspective. Salvation includes God rescuing us from every single thing the devil has. And with that definition, then, we can see that salvation can come to play in the mental arena, in the spiritual warfare over our minds. We can receive the salvation of God. What is that? It's the renewing of our minds. We can also see that salvation can come also in the physical area. Divine healing. It's a form of salvation. Salvation is God rescuing us from everything that the devil did to us in the fall. And those clinging vines of the fall that have traveled down trailing man through the centuries and millennia. Causing us problems in the world in which we live in our walk with our Heavenly Father. So salvation is a tremendously exciting and important subject. And it seems like, you know, we hear a lot of testimonies. I was an alcoholic and God saved me. Praise God. And He delivered me from drink. And we rejoice over that. We hear other testimonies where a young lady or a Sometimes even men would say, you know, I was a prostitute, and Jesus saved me, and he delivered me from that vile occupation, and now I live a holy life, and we praise God for that. Others would say, I was a drug addict, I was a stoner, and God delivered me through the blood of Jesus, and I no longer take drugs, but I'm free to serve the Lord, and we rejoice in that. But I also want you to notice, and we could give many more examples of people who were saved from the very depths of depravity. And in reality, what I want you to understand is, no matter how we're saved, no matter what we are saved from, it's always sin. We are always saved from sin. And so we are all in the depths of depravity. We could give many examples. It's also a beauty... And someone who comes to know Christ simply by being raised in a Christian home. That's a beautiful thing too. That is an amazing thing too. It has its own set, its own unique set of warfare issues for that one who's raised in a Christian home, who has a godly family, and how that that faith has taken root in their heart being passed down to them. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You don't grandfather faith. You can't pass faith down in that sense. But faith can be caught. And that's why it's important for every Christian parent to model a godly example in front of their children. But everybody has to make that personal decision for themselves. But I want you to take a look with me please in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, as we read Paul when he's writing to Timothy, and he's talking about his faith. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, 
which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Some believers have, as we mentioned, dramatic testimonies of coming to faith in extraordinary circumstances, like Paul, for example. But there is also a beauty in the testimonies of those who were raised in believing homes and received Christ in their youth. Timothy was one such person. Timothy's parents had what we might call a spiritually mixed marriage. His father was an unbelieving Gentile, and his mother was a Jewish believer, according to Acts 16 and verse 1. The Apostle Paul likely led Timothy's mother and grandmother to faith in Christ, meaning that these two women were instructing Timothy in the Scriptures from a very young age. You can also look at 1 Timothy, let's go there, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 14. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 14. It says this. Paul tells Timothy, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So we see from a very early age, the grandmother and the mother of Timothy was teaching him the scriptures, and in those scriptures is contained the message of salvation. That's one of the most important things we can teach our kids in all of life. We can teach them wise lessons for living. We can teach them many things that we have experienced, but the best thing that we can teach them and help them to develop is a love for the Holy Scriptures, because in the Holy Scriptures, on every page is written God's loving message of salvation. Hallelujah to the Lamb. The result of this was a young man ready, willing, and able to follow Jesus and to serve his people. What kind of faith gets transferred from one generation to the next? What characteristics will most likely be caught by succeeding generations? Let's look at that. First of all, an authentic faith. A faith that is consistent. A faith that you and I walk out in front of our children day by day. And that is without hypocrisy. According to James 3 verse 17. This kind of authentic faith will draw people to it. Children and grandchildren are the first to see us as we really are. In spite of our imperfections... Are we living the faith that we claim to be? I'll ask you that question today. 
Notice the phrase, in spite of our imperfections. We mustn't allow the enemy of our soul to trick us into believing that we have to do everything just perfect in front of our children or else there will be bad consequences. Because part of catching faith is them seeing how you and I handle the imperfections that we struggle with even on a daily basis, but we continue on in following the Lord. And we, we must exhibit repentance before our kids. We have to uh, exhibit uh, the love of God before them. And the love of God beckons every one of us. And not just us parents, but also kids. It beckons us to the Lord. And so we teach that lesson by the way we live it. That you made a mistake, you don't have to run and hide from me. You should run to me. You see, kids will see that when we do that in our walk with the Lord. So in spite of our imperfections, are we living out the faith we believe? Are we living out the faith that we claim to believe? And, and when we make a mistake... Do we run to God and ask His forgiveness and plead the blood of Jesus to wash and to cleanse us and then get back up and start following Him again? And the Holy Spirit empowers us to do better? Amen. The second type of faith that we want to look at is abiding faith. Genuine faith dwelt first in Timothy's grandmother and then his mother. That's a significant factor. Dwelt means abided or lived in. In other words, this kind of faith has a staying power. It can be a permanent faith. 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy 1:14 and Colossians 3:16. Eunice and Lois faith inhabited their life as did Paul's. It was ever present in them. That faith was always active in them, in good times and in bad. Abiding faith is especially evident in troubled times. You see, this is why striving for perfection is most of the time a bad thing. Because we like to get it in our minds what that perfection ought to look like, and when it doesn't happen, if, if we are perfectionists, or if we are motivated by works rather than grace, then we have a tendency to be able to fall all apart when things go bad. But what we need to model, and not just in front of our kids, but in front of a lost generation, what we need to model is the type of faith that, we, you know, we have faith in God in good times and in bad. And if we make a mistake, we still have faith in God. And we go to Him and we ask Him for cleansing. And we ask Him for forgiveness, and he, he takes care of that because He loves us. And He tells us, if you confess your sins, I will be faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Abiding faith is especially evident in troubled times. People are watching us as Christians to see how we handle life in two areas, in crisis and in conflict. How are we going to handle? Are we going to act like Jesus? Or are we going to be like the world? In those two particulars. How the adults in a family respond to adversity 
reveals to the next generation whether the faith that is proclaimed in the home really works. So when adverse times come to us, and they come to us all, my friends, we don't lose our shout of praise. We don't lose our prayer of faith. We don't lose our glory hallelujah. You know, you hear what I'm saying? Glory to God. When troubled time comes, we do not lose our faith in God. We do not lay it aside. We do not fall all apart. We may be trembling inside, but we know that we know that we know that God will see us through. And that's the type of faith that is caught by the next generation. Not only authentic faith and abiding faith, but aroused faith. This is a faith that just can't keep quiet. This is a faith that's so moved by the Lord's work that it must tell others what God has done. Unaroused faith will be shared even with the youngest of children, and this helps to mold them as they grow up. Not only an authentic faith and an abiding faith, and an aroused faith, but also an absolute faith can be caught. Paul speaks in the first verse that we read today of the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. The faith that is centered in Christ and fully entrusted to Him will not only last into eternity, but it will become absolutely unwavering faith in this life. You see, we don't have to start enjoying eternal life when we get to heaven, but we can begin to enjoy eternal life right now because it came into our hearts when we received Christ. And this is why another one of the best things that you can do around your house that absolutely stands out and says to the next generation, this faith we believe really works. The best thing you can do is to put on an atmosphere of joy in your home. Hallelujah. And have a joy about you, not a phony joy, not a fake joy, but a real joy that comes from a deep, authentic, abiding, aroused, and absolute faith in Jesus Christ. So that no matter what the devil hits you at, where he hits you at and what he hits you with, we should say, no matter about that, you know that your God is in control and that He is able to bring you through to victory in Christ Jesus because of the shed blood. And when we begin to model this, not only at home, friends, I'm talking about this faith that was caught by Timothy from his grandmother and his mother, but this also holds true for the next generation that's watching us in the workplace, in the marketplace, in the schoolroom, in our churches, and, and a lot of young people have this questioning going on. Is this faith really genuine? Is, does it work? Is it true? And we have to model it. It's not enough just to tell somebody, hey man, read the Bible. Yes, we tell them read the Bible, but we need to live the Bible in front of them every single day. In spite of our imperfections. And I add that again, and emphasize it because as long as you and I are in the body, none of us are ever going to be 100% perfect. We're always going to make mistakes. We're human. And then we have the grace of God that we fall on 
And He, he holds us in, up in His grace. And He helps us. He helps us to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. He helps to conform us into the image of Christ. So it takes an authentic faith, an abiding faith, an aroused faith, and an absolute faith to pass down to the next generation. This is a faith that's centered in Christ and fully entrusted to Him that will not only last us into eternity, but it's absolutely unwavering in this life. This faith will do when you're living. It'll do when you're dying. It'll take you through life. It'll take you into heaven. Faith in Jesus Christ and what He did for us at the cross. Praise be to God. This kind of faith understands Christ's future promises to be a fact. And we live like we believe it. We live like the promises of God are fact and not fiction. We live like we believe the Word of God is true. We live like we believe what we are supposed to become as told to us in the Scriptures and as made possible to us by the Holy Spirit. We live like we believe it. You see, if we, if we live like we believed in the love of God, how differently would we treat people? If we lived like we believed that we can have joy in the Lord, how differently would we live? And on and on and on we could go. But a faith that is lived is a faith that can be caught by the generation coming after us. And for every one of us, whether you're a parent or not, whether you're a grandparent or not, but as a member of the Christian body in the time in which we're living, this means, this is very important to us. All of us. It means everything to us. To leave that heritage that was passed down to us, and sometimes it's not even passed down through parents. Sometimes a child is the first one in the home that gets saved. But it's passed down by other adults, by other people through that past generation. And it's possible that you, for you to hear the gospel because of the prayers and the preaching and everything that's gone on in the generation before you, whether it comes right from your parents directly or not, it's still important that we live like we believe this faith because other people's kids are watching us. You hear me? God does not guarantee that Christian parents will automatically raise godly sons and daughters. And every one of us know families where it's not the case. Despite our best efforts, despite our, our uh, efforts at trying to get kids to live for Jesus, sometimes children stray. But the Bible's still true. And it says if you'll bring up a child in the way that they should go, when they are old, they will not depart from it. What does that mean? It means there's a seed in them. You see, just as it's true that you cannot force a kid to live for Christ, and we certainly know you can't, but it's equally true that every seed that you sow into their hearts has a chance to germinate and grow. So when they see you reading your Bible, when they see you turning the other cheek and loving your neighbor, when they see you praying, 
when they see you getting up and going to the house of God. Come on, parents, go to church. Your kids are watching, and not only just your children, but the neighbor's children are watching you also. You're a generation that needs to set an example as we attempt to pass this faith down to those who are coming after us. That's not a guarantee. Sometimes those kids will stray. But every seed you can plant is one seed closer to bringing them in to faith. And if our parents have raised them, us in the faith, we should thank God for them and thank them if we still can. And if we have children of our own, then let us ask God for the grace to raise them as Timothy's mother and grandmother raised him. Let us ask God for the grace to know what we ought to do in the planting of the seeds of the gospel in the future generation and to see that brought into germination and then into growth. Because if we don't do it, who will? If we don't win them, who will? And so we ask for a genuine authenticity to our faith and a genuine authenticity about our life that we can reach out in the name of Christ and bring this generation a message of hope, not only by preaching it, but also by living it and living it out in front of them on a daily basis. And that's the way that God designed it. Father, thank you for this very short message, but very pointed message today. Father, drive it to our hearts. Father, reveal to our hearts. Let us see in it with our spiritual eyes how important it is the way that we live this faith. Help us to see that, Lord. Help us to never take lightly how we live our lives before the Lord and also before people. Lord, give us the courage to model the Christian life before this generation, a generation that's filled with anxiety. And we know the answer, Lord, because it's found in Christ and only in Christ. Help us to model Christ to this generation. And we give you all the praise and the glory for everything that's been said and done here today. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen and Amen.